Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 371. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rankstraw. Hey, Kevin. Hi. How was your 4th of July weekend? Uh, I watched Jaws and I drank some beer. Nice. So good. Yeah. Man, that sounds like... Yep. That's all you could want. Pretty much. I mean, the only, th- the only thing that I might add to that is like cookout food. You know, some potato salad, some macaroni salad, some burgers and dogs on the grill. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I had shrimp, shrimp and grits, so I didn't have the other thing. Oh, okay. I had shrimp. But, you know, I, I actually had shrimp yesterday too. Holy shit! Did you watch Jaws? Did I didn't. Beer? I didn't. I should have. Well, my day was better than you. It was. Fuck off. Without a doubt. This week on the show, we have two reviews lined up for you with Relic and We Are Little Zombies. We'll also be going over someone watching on the watch list and new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That'd be super helpful. Uh, a couple bits of housekeeping news. We're still trying to coordinate with Ryan and get, get a schedule going with recording. So I'm hoping that we can get back to a regular thing soon. I am in the midst of a moving. So that's, that's kind of taking up like all of my time right now. Uh, with that, I'm not sure that we will have an episode next week because I'm going to be in the middle of actually moving to a different state. So oh. we're leaving on Saturday. So I don't think I'll be in a, I'll be in a position to record. No, because it's going to take like it's going to take like three days yeah. to get down there. So uh, stay tuned for that. I will send out a tweet with updates. With that, I think we can dive into our review. I was thinking that we could start with Relic. Relic. Yeah, both of these movies that we're talking about today come out on Friday on VOD. Relic is going to be on regular VOD. Uh, the other one that we'll be talking about in a, in a bit is going to be on virtual theatrical, but I will uh, reiterate that when we talk about it. Relic is directed by Natalie Erica James. I have a synopsis here. A daughter, mother, and grandmother are haunted by a manifestation of dementia that consumes their family's home. I guess I'll start this one off. I'm a big fan of... I'm a a huge fan of horror movies, as you all know. I I consume horror movies like it's going out of style. And maybe that's why uh, I was not very taken with Relic. I thought that... By and large, it was a pretty standard, very slow burn kind of supernatural horror movie. It felt like, uh, I don't want to say that they were like biting off of Hereditary, but I think, I think with movies like Hereditary, there was like a, a trend. And I don't know if it started with Hereditary necessarily, but we've seen this kind of trend in, in horror movies of late. And this movie to me just feels like, kind of a more banal version of of hereditary where you have like I mean it says it in the in the synopsis and you know like sort of what it all what it all means what it all represents and you have this the this lineage of of women in this in this family and the uh the eldest is not diagnosed but it seems pretty obvious that she has dementia and uh some creepy stuff happens as a result I I yeah. I just for me it just wasn't really anything of note except for the the end which we can get into a little bit might even 
do like a little bit of a spoiler talk on this. But Ooh. so anyway, my initial right. impressions were like kind of like meh. Nothing nothing too too special here. What what about you, Kevin? What were your initial impressions? I am pretty much right there with you. It's uh it's a slow burn. But I mean, which I'm not against slow burns by any means, right? But usually with with a slow burn, you have something, you know, either atmosphere mm-hmm. or, you know, something that compels you, that engages you. Little breadcrumbs, you know, just a little bit of a hook that keeps you engaged. Something. Like, ooh, something's not right here. What's going on here? I love slow burn horror movies. I think that those are some of the most effective ones when there is yeah. that buildup. The slow burn here is really nothing because from the outset, you know what's going on. Like it's the, she has dementia and you know that most of the stuff that's happening is either from her not knowing what she's doing in the middle of the night or this, you know, this spiritual manifestation of dementia. So like, and there's just so much of nothing and it, it suffers from one of the things that really irritates me in movies and especially horror movies because it's just done so often is like one character will get a piece of information that's really like it's big news. It's big stuff that should be shared with everyone in the house. And they just, they don't share it ever. They're just like, Oh, I'll keep this to myself. It's just like, why are you not talking to each other? Like you found a post in there that says, don't follow it. Maybe bring that up. Be like, Hey, what, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Don't follow it. What are you following? Just, it's just stupid stuff like that. And it's just so much of nothing. And okay, like you, the ending is pretty solid, but it takes forever to fucking get there. And it's not really surprising in any way because you're just like, okay, now I finally get to see what, what's, you know, the bigger picture here of what's going on. I already knew what it was, but now you're just, you know, opening the door and showing me the scope of it. And it's like, okay, great. But it's not really surprising in any way. I thought there was going to be more to it than that. I thought that there was going to be a little bit more mystery, a little bit more intrigue, because I can't remember where it was. Maybe it was like a marketing email I got or something that was talking about like a curse that's passed down from generation to generation. And then this movie is about like three generations of women under this one house and how this curse affects them. And it's like, I I thought there was going to be more of that. Like I thought it was going to be an actual curse and, and that curse represented dementia, but it's not, it's not that it's, it's, it's much more surface level than that. And it's just, you know, dementia being hereditary. Yeah. Like that. The curse is dementia in this case. And yeah, I wanted it to be more like I wanted the dementia, this manifestation. I wanted the, the, um, the metaphor to be something a little bit more obtuse, you know? And yeah. And it, and it, I mean, we've seen it before. There's been, there's been a handful of movies that have done, you know, hard dementia. Yeah. There was a movie, film. I believe, <laughs> I believe it was called dementia. Well, there's uh what is it? The taking of Deborah Logan mm-hmm. is kind of the same thing. If I'm thinking of the right movie, pretty sure it's that one. Yeah. That's, that's the one. Yeah. It was a, there was a movie in 2015 called dementia with Gene Jones and they did i think that was one of the first like horror movies i saw that that used dementia as as a device for horror and and i thought that they did a pretty good in that movie but you know by by the time the relic comes out it's this is to me this is just kind of more the same 
Yeah. Now, but it's also at this point in time, not only is it not fresh, but we're getting to the point now, at least with for me, where it feels almost kind of damaging and in a way kind of, you know, more harmful to like dementia as an actual thing, you know, kind of like making it into this, you know, where it's kind of like got this J-Har aspect where she's like, you know, this disgusting creature mm-hmm. crawling on the floor and her hair's falling out and she's joints going all over the place. And it's just like, is that what you think dementia is? Like, <laughs> It's just a person that's lost, like, you know, in their own mind. Like, it's not this disgust. Like, why do we keep demonizing it like this? I think that that's where that's where the horror aspects of it come from. You know, they they make it slimy and gross and ugly and violent and scary when you don't necessarily have to do that because dementia in and of itself is horrifying. Like the idea of yeah. losing one's mind, and I think that. I think that there are probably really interesting visual representations you can do to to show dementia and make it horrifying mm-hmm. without going to the the old tried and true like gross naked yeah. old person, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that that's where it's kind of getting old, and it kind of feels more uh, more so insulting mm-hmm. than anything. Now, I do like what they do here, where they have kind of like the mirrored house. It's like deteriorating. Yeah. Like that's very interesting. I like, I like that. I like that thematic visual that they came up with. But again, it felt a little bit, you know, too little, too late. To be clear, like I, I think that certain visual flourishes and de- decisions that they made in this, I think that they were effective. Like the whole uh, rotting underneath the skin and stuff like that, <laughs> that whole thing uh, was really effective and insanely creepy. There were there were a few moments of this movie that like genuinely made my skin crawl, and it it, it almost turns into a like a body horror movie at one point. Yeah. And oh, oh, like there are several things in this where I'm just like, oh, you know, very yeah. uh, made me uh, made me shudder. Well, you know, I I do I do I don't know if I like it necessarily, but I do find it interesting that. Uh, there's a whole host of horror films, especially like haunted houses or, you know, things affecting people in some way, supernatural things. Like, I love how there's always the, the out, like very early on where you're just like, well, there's black mold in the house. That's what's going on here. Like, you guys need to get out of there. It's like that, uh, like, that, that quote, like every movie. it's that quote, uh, that, uh, that quote unquote documentary about the guy yeah. who buys the, <laughs> Who bought, who bought that house and like all of the people that were that were like having problems and it was because there's like it was just infested with black mold yeah just get out of the house there's black mold <laughs> everywhere I did think that there were a number of really interesting sequences unfortunately they almost all of them came at the very very end of the movie and I think that everything leading up to that was just very bland and sort of paint by numbers and i thought that the the characters themselves were very one note one dimensional and and not very complex either i mean you have emily mortimer in here as sort of the mom and like she she just didn't really have much to work with you and uh robin nevin was the the eldest one she was the grandma and then you have bella heathcote is is the youngest one the granddaughter 
And they just, none of them really had anything to work with. Like, I just didn't think that any of them did anything interesting. I mean, obviously, Robin Nevin playing the crazy grandma had the most to do, but even her character was, I thought, inconsistent in that, like, I didn't really get the sense that it was someone slowly succumbing to dementia. It just seemed like she was kind of evil from the get-go. Like, she never seemed nice. She never seemed like herself. And I don't know. I just wasn't really buying into any of the characters' motivations or anything like that. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. I do want to highlight, uh, I don't, I actually don't think we need to go into spoilers for this. Cause I think that we both sort of articulated what we thought of the, the effects work and stuff towards the end, but they do use some, it's all practical effects, at least from what I could tell. And they do some really interesting sort of animatronic work in it, which was a huge surprise. And, uh, I thought it looked really good. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. That's what I mean. That's the thing that's difficult with this movie. It's like the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes maybe is really, really good. But unfortunately, it's an hour and a half long. So a large majority of this movie is like really just extremely bland. Just really, really bland. Yeah, it kind of sucks because I I really do think that final act is worth watching but yeah but the thing is like is is the rest is the the first two-thirds of the movie even necessary like i i don't i would argue that it's not really necessary i mean you you could you could boil that first two-thirds down to like a five to ten minute sequence and still still come out of the movie feeling the same way and getting the same amount out of it yeah, because I mean, you don't really even need it if you if you read the synopsis beforehand. But even even then, at the end, with you know, even that, during that last sequence, I think you can surmise that we're talking about dementia here. Yeah, like that's the only thing that you need to know is that, and that's the, the irritating thing about this movie is like all that setup is like I don't know if they're trying to hint towards dementia or you know having you like kind of guess or second guess whether it's dementia or something else that's going on. But I never really got that sense. It's just, you know, from the outset that this is dementia and this is a stand in for dementia. Yeah. I mean, the synopsis says it, I knew it before, like going into the movie, I knew what it was. And even from like the, the opening moments, I mean, the, the reason that the two of them are there is because she goes missing and she's like found wandering. Yeah. So it seems incredibly telegraphed from the very beginning what this all represents and at first it seems like as i said before that they're they're hinting at something else like some sort of other um nefarious malevolent force in their family but no <laughs> they don't go no no yeah no. they don't go there with it that's Relic. Uh, I really can't recommend it, despite the the strong finale. Also, let's put a moratorium on bathtub sequences. Like, I can't tell you the number of horror movies that involve a scary bathtub sequence, and it's just like, unless you're going to come up with something completely new and bold, yeah, 
let's just end it. Yeah. Because we all see it coming. I'm sitting at like a, man, maybe like a four on this one. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I might go like a little bit. I might go to like a four and a half. Uh, there you have it. IFC is putting out Relic on Friday. Let's move on and talk about our second movie. We Are Little Zombies. This is directed by Makoto Nagahisa. Uh, synopsis states, four Japanese orphans form a rock band. Keeping it simple. Yep, keeping it do. brief. Yep. Keep, keeping it simple. There's a true sentence. Mm-hmm. Now, Kevin, we'll start with you on this one. What did you think of We Are Little Zombies? This is, you know, it's a debut right off the bat. Keep that in mind. So it's a little bit unwieldy to me. Like there's, there's a little bit too much going on. Like, you, you know, swinging for the fences here, straight out the gate with, with this first movie. And when it works, it works. There's, there's plenty of sequences that work really, really well. Apparently, this is a guy that, uh, you know, has done a bunch of music videos, uh, worked for like a advertising agency, which it kind of comes off. Comes off that, that that's his background. And uh, again, like when it works, it works. But there's a lot of to me. It's almost like he's tra- he's trying to do too much. There's just so much going on, and it after a while, uh, given the runtime and kind of given the the meandering nature of this of this story, it becomes uh, a little bit irritating here and there. It is a, a little bit of an exhausting movie. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. There's so much. I think that this is a movie that is, it is very clearly a debut from, from a director who has come from the world of music videos uh, because there's a little bit of everything in this. Like a lot of it feels like a music video. There are certain times where it feels more like a commercial. The There's many different styles. I mean, this is definitely one of these kind of kitchen sink movies where this guy had obviously a ton of ideas for framing visuals, yeah. you know, different transitions, all kinds of st- structure going on here. And he just, he threw it all in there. He wanted to have it all. And uh, I agree with you when it works. I think it works. I think for the most part, like overall, this movie did work for me. And, and I also can kind of understand the sporadic nature of it where you have this cast of four characters and each of them have their own sort of interests and, and things like that. So the, the movie's visual sort of cater towards each character. And so I, I can kind of get the different visual styles that are thrown in here and all the crazy camera work and stuff, but it is too much. It's there's, <laughs> there's way too much going on in this movie, especially because the storytelling is there's like so many different tendrils that are happening with the storytelling where, you know, it goes through each of the four kids and their background and then the, the band. And then like there, there's these little asides that it'll take, like when it follows the bus driver around, there's certain things like, yeah. I didn't think that was necessary at all to do that. No. And that's where it gets kind of irritating is because you have so many different styles for all these little tangents and the main storyline and this and that. And even when you get to like a section like that, you know, it's this like a camera affixed to the front, like upwards 
to his face, like it, like it's attached to his body, and he's walking around. It's just like it's too much. <laughs> it's too many different styles going on for just really superfluous things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, I would like. So this was, they, they, this was shot on an Ari Alexa as its main camera, but some scenes were shot with GoPro, some scenes were shot with an iPhone. The formatting is all over the place. It's for people who like consistency in their movies. Uh, this is not it because this, this yeah, movie, gonna... this movie is frantic, but it's also very creative. And I think that a lot of the visual styles uh, are fun and interesting and kinetic and they fit the story in really kind of fun ways. So yeah. I, I didn't, I, I don't have a lot to complain about as far as that, but it is a bit too much at times. Yeah. I think the, the, the main thing that gets me is you essentially have this movie broken up into thirds with the, the, the first third is just the, like assembling the team and introducing everybody and kind of like a little bit of their background in four chapters, you know? And then the, the, the second third is, you know, that obviously them forming the band and then having, you know, it's kind of that uh, telltale, you know, rising fame, and then they they end it. And then the third, I'm I'm not even sure what it is. That's where it kind of started to lose me. It's kind of when they came out of the rock band, and I'm just kind of like, what is the what is the message? Is it what like what are we getting at? Like what are we trying to do? That yeah. Over the course of two hours, and I, it, I like the most I could come up with is that. Like the the main kid, you know, that plays the game, the little zombies game, is that like he realizes like, oh, I just got to keep going even though life sucks. <laughs> like that, we're like, really? That yeah. was we. It took two hours to come to that to do that. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of pretty heavy subject matter discussed here, and because it's told from the perspective of, of four kids, I think that it's, it's interesting to see them handle grief in different ways. And just to step back a little bit, the synopsis obviously doesn't tell you much about this movie at all, but um, the, the basic premise is that these four kids who are about 13 years old each, um, they all lose their parents in different ways. So, so they're all, they, they meet at like the funeral home, and they become friends through this kind of shared loss. And each of them had troubled uh, backgrounds where none of them were really close to their parents. So none of them feel that sort of immense grief that I think most children would. And they're trying to sort of process that. And through this kind of friendship that they spark up, they decide to form a band and their video that they make, which by the way, I loved their video. I thought that was one of the best uh, scenes in the movie, the actual music video, because it was all done in one shot and there was just so much going on in there. But anyway, um, their video sort of goes viral and they get like a manager and stuff and they become really famous. And then all of a sudden they decided to just stop doing the music and move on, which is sort of, I think one of the problems of this movie is that it, it should have ended there probably. 
Like it keeps going yeah. and you're just like, okay, I, well, I, wait a minute. I thought this was about these four orphans who were starting up a band the, they, they ended the music. So why are we continuing? Like why, why does it keep going on past this? And uh, I think it, it just, it's a movie that had about three or four different endings and just didn't know when they're to, all present. Didn't know when <laughs> they're to, all present. Didn't know when to quit. Yeah, no, it, it definitely has the feeling of you know, like you said, there's four different endings, and then you can tell it like it ended at one point, it, or so it feels like, and then like you know what, let's let's add two more scenes, and then end it, and then like, well, you know what, I don't know if that works. Let's add two more scenes, and it just kind of gets a lot of stuff tacked on at the end here. And that's where that's where it lost me because mm-hmm. I think like once because the 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 original music video that kind of that goes viral and they get the fame from that's when I like kind of sat up in my seat because I was like okay this is all like culminating right now like all the visuals and all the creativity is all culminating and this song is catchy as hell and like this is working now and then it just you know just felt like unnecessary stuff tacked on after like you said is when they you know they decide to, to call it quits disband and then you know it keeps going and then it keeps going more and more well yeah it goes to some kind of surreal territory towards the end too which i thought again was kind of a cool visual but didn't really amount to much no because it just Again, it like it was their point to to the to, to the, the surreal nature or the surreal visuals, and it it didn't feel like it was. It was just like okay, here's an opportunity to you know put in some pulsing brains. And you're like okay, I guess like kudos, <laughs> it looked decent. Again, I I like the overall story and I like the the overall message behind it. You have these four unique kids dealing with this trauma in their own way. And I thought that that was all done very well. And I, I like the score. I like the sort of video game aesthetic of everything. I like the chip tune, mm-hmm. the chip tune score thought that all the music was really quite good. The opening title sequence was awesome. The, the sort of eight bit style yeah. opening yeah. that that was all, that was all really cool. So there's there's a lot that I really enjoyed with this, and I think that it, overall it was extremely entertaining. I just think it was a little bit messy and probably could have been cleaned up quite a bit and trimmed down to make it a little yeah. bit more concise. Yeah, it's just a bit much. It's it's a bit overwhelming at times. Yeah, it did make me really, really, really yearn for going back to Japan, though. Oh. Oh, I, mean, I can imagine. It's just, but it is. It's also, it's a bit uh, nauseating in a way. <laughs> with, with it, like, and I, I'm all for creativity, but it, sometimes it's like, okay, you just, you gotta let it just breathe, and just not have anything like flashy <laughs> yeah, or right. creative. Like just, just little, little walls, please. Yeah. <laughs> Very high energy. This movie. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it, it reminds me of like a kid show where everything is just going full throttle. 
like full energy yeah. all the time. Like, like when you're a kid and you just run everywhere you go, like, like at yeah. least that's, that's how I, how I was. And I think probably everyone was where when you're a kid, you just run everywhere. Can you imagine that? Like well, yeah. just running everywhere you go now, like even, Oh, I just got to go get the mail. I'm just going to run, just going to run there. No. <laughs> You know how much my body would hurt? <laughs> That's how it was back then. You just run everywhere. And I remember at one point when I was really young thinking like, why doesn't everybody just run everywhere? Why, is, why are people walking? It just seems like such a waste of time and you can just run everywhere. That's probably why you end up feeling so terrible when you get older. Probably. Because so much unnecessary running at a young age. <laughs> Just destroying your knees, but you don't feel that until thirty years later. Uh, yeah, that's probably what it is. Uh, so that's we are little zombies. On. Let's uh, let's go ahead and give this a score, Kevin. What are you going to give this out of ten? I give it like a six. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm like at a six, six and a half on this one. I do recommend checking it out, despite it being uh, a little rough around the edges. I think that it is still uh, pretty pretty fun watch and it's it's yeah. certainly unique i mean we are coming off of a movie that is pretty not unique in every single way to a movie like this where there's very few movies that i can compare it to so that's a win in my book yes uh, again that's we are little zombies oscilloscope is putting that out on virtual theatrical on friday so give it a look all right, let's move on and talk about someone we're watching. I I don't remember whose turn it is. We we had a week off, so I'm not yeah. sure. I think it's you. I think it's going to be me. Okay. Now, I watched Pacific Heights from 1990 from John Schlesinger, the same British director, Marathon Man, Midnight Cowboy, Billy Liar, all those. So this is the movie that got me wanting to watch Money Pit which I know is something that you fulfilled this week. <laughs> completely, this movie, completely by coincidence too, by the way. But it was just it was like, ever since I watched this movie, I was like, God damn, I want to watch money. Pit." I know I loved that movie when I was a kid. Yeah. I need to see it again. Um, and the reason for that is this is Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith. They buy a place in San Francisco that they can't afford. They buy this beautiful house. They pretty much, empty out their savings to buy this thing. They can't afford it. So what they're going to do is rent out the two spaces below on the first floor. They're going to rent, they're going to make them into two, two apartments and rent them out. Right. So they rent out the first one to this lovely Japanese couple. I mean, picture perfect tenants, right? Uh, the other one they rent it out to, uh, unfortunately is Michael Keaton. who's a con man. And this is where it gets ridiculous because Michael Keaton, like this is all he does. He just goes around and kind of swindles people out of their properties. He, he becomes a tenant. And the way that this movie is set up is it, it suggests that tenants hold all of the power in this agreement and that all of the laws in a state are on the side of tenants and they can just do whatever they want. And the landlords just, they, they are just simply unable to do anything. Just, completely powerless in this situation which he and he's he's insane right like he is he's changed the locks on his apartment no one's allowed to come in he's not paying any money whatsoever he never does once 
he's tearing his his apartment apart, just just tearing everything out, floors, fixtures, everything, just ruining. He's cut a hole into the other apartment. He's releasing cockroaches into that apartment that they had to essentially, you know, forcing the Japanese couple out. And Matthew Modine and Melanie Griffith, they get there's nothing they can do. It's just he he got to deal with it. You know, he has all the rights. He's protected by law. Which is just insane to me, because tenants have like no power whatsoever in real life. So it's just kind of this weird viewing experience. And also, uh, Michael Keaton is—it's really interesting watching him because he's kind of this like sociopath. Um, this is—he's—he's he's really creepy. Uh, he keeps kind of goading Matthew Modine into violence, and. Like he really hams it up while Modine is like beating the shit out of him, which is kind of, I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but it is, it's really funny. I don't know if that's intentional, but just like the faces that he made, he like, he really hams it up as he's getting the shit kicked out of him by Matthew Modine, which is just, it's kind of funny to watch. And it just escalates and escalates and just gets completely out of hand. And uh, like, it's a ridiculous movie. It's not that good. But at the same time, it's entertaining as all hell. I'm going to have to watch this. Uh, I've always wanted to watch this, but I've, after since I saw Money Pit now, I kind of want to see this. <laughs> and by the way, I, I, to, I, told you, um, I told you when I was watching Money Pit, that movie really holds up. Like, I, I also, I'm glad to hear it. That was a movie that I also loved as a kid, and I was laughing hysterically at some of the scenes in that movie. So it definitely holds Good. up. Good. How did you watch this, by the way? Uh, I, I, got it, I got it delivered by mail from Netflix on the DVD. Okay. The envelope. They do that now. Okay, I'll have to hit up the old... I would like to know, like... Me and how many other people still get the DVD? Mailers. I think I think Ken. I think Ken still has the, the DVD package. Yeah. Good. I wouldn't be able to do the DVDs. I'd be able to do the Blu-rays, but the DVDs are just too low quality. I just can't deal with that in my life. It's, I, sometimes I have to watch DVD screeners, and they're, they're just so... It's just so bad. Like They just look so bad to me. Yeah. Anyway... I saw Aqua Slash. This is directed by Renald uh, Guthier. This is a Canadian horror movie about a, a murderer that is uh, stalking the people at a water park. And it's got a bit of a, an 80s slasher vibe to it. And the weird thing is, like, I could never quite tell if this movie was deliberately trying to make itself like a bad eighties slasher or if it was trying to make a, a, like a serious horror movie, I could never tell because if it was trying to be a really bad eighties slasher, I guess it worked in that regard. But some of the stuff that happens in this movie is completely incomprehensible. Like the actions of the characters, the dialogue, it is so stupid and ridiculous, but there's some kind of fun things that happen. Interestingly, it's not so much about a killer who goes around picking off these uh, water park people one by one. It's more about like one thing that he does that kills a whole bunch of people at once. So mm -hmm. in that regard, it's a little bit different 
I'm not going to say what it was, but it was, uh, it was effective. Like the thing that he did was kind of crazy, but for the, everything else, it was just bad. It was just a very bad low budget slasher movie that, I mean, maybe if they had it take place in the eighties, it would have been a little bit more effective or if they were able to like shoot it, make it look like an older movie or something, something to make it feel a little bit more dated, but I can't recommend it. It's, uh, it's quite bad. Uh, at any rate, it's called Aqua Slash and it is on VOD right now. Uh, I watched Hyenas, 1992. Hyenas, currently on movie. You can watch it remaster from the Senegalese legend, Triple Diab Lombetti. And this movie, I think my found the movie, or at least for the, the time being, like as I was watching it, it just it really got me back into movies. This movie is just fucking perfect in every way, to be honest. Uh, it's based on a play by uh, Friedrich uh, Dernmatt. So what it is is this very, very poor village, and uh, they're, they're in dire straits, right? Just they have nothing. And a extremely wealthy woman returns to the village. She, she left decades earlier. She's returning. She apparently has infinite cash flow. Just so much capital that she that she's willing to inject into the village. Just help everyone out. Business is going to be booming. Going to take care of everything. She's actually lost like body parts and has them replaced. Like her her one arm is solid gold and her one leg is solid gold. Just to give you an idea of like how much money she has, right? So she comes back and of course they're going to try and cater to her every need in order to get some money. You know, to get some help. And the, the main guy that's going to help them is Straman, who runs like this. He runs a store slash bar type thing. Um, and he knew her really, really well. They were in love with each other as teenagers uh, before she left. So they're kind of counting on him to make this to make this work. Well, they find out pretty quickly that she's going to help them. She's going to give them all the money that they could ever want, right? Uh, and in exchange, she gets to buy the court. And the only thing that they have to do is kill drama. That's it. The town just has to kill him and they can have everything that they want. And at first they're like, absolutely not, you know, solidarity, he's our friend, he's, you know, he's been here forever, such a great personality, such a great guy. No way, we're not doing this. And so it kind of plays into this like consumerism, uh, neo-colonialism, uh, and solidarity's like fatal flaw is like the longer that this goes on, she kind of keeps like floating them credit, and they get to like experience what it's like to have money and like all these great things, wonderful things, and their lives are so much better now. And they kind of realize like, oh, you know what? We could kill trauma. I mean, he did he did do a bad thing. So we could get rid of them and just live like kings. And it's just, it's got a wonderful mix of comedy and drama. Um, the the score is incredible. The costume is incredible. The locations, the so- shot compositions, like everything about this movie is just, I, I don't think I would change anything. It's just, it's perfect. That's hyenas. Glowing praise. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Man. Well, I hate to 
bring things back down, but uh, I did see Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. <laughs> oh, God. This is directed by David Dobkin. And it's what we thought it was, isn't it? It's exactly what we thought it was. Um, the trailers for this, as I said last last episode, made it not look funny at all. And I can I can definitely uh, say that it is not funny. It's there's maybe there's maybe a couple moments here and there that made me chuckle a little bit, but no hearty laughs to be had here. Uh, Will Ferrell just kind of phones it in. In fact, he's the worst character out of all of them. You have Rachel McAdams in here. She's quite good. Pierce Brosnan plays Will Ferrell's dad in it. He's this kind of gruff uh, fisherman in this small Icelandic village that they live in. Dan Stevens plays this uh, like Russian pop star. So you have good people in here in kind of silly, fun roles. Uh, But the movie itself is just not very good. It's two hours. It's over two hours long, too, which Mm, is insane. It is insane. Absolutely not. No. So, uh, yeah. Big pass on Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, I I liked the scenes that took place in Iceland. I'm a huge fan of Iceland. I actually got married in Iceland. Um, I love, I love the country of Iceland, but, um, even, you know, it's really hard not to shoot Iceland and make it look beautiful, but, and this, it's like this movie is trying to make it not look like the beautiful place that it is, even though it doesn't really (laughs) succeed. It still looks gorgeous in this movie, but it's like, they're trying to make it kind of an ugly overcast place. Trying to ruin everything. That's just, no, thank you. Hey, don't worry. Don't feel bad because I watch bad movies too. And one that I watch is Body of Brighton Rock. Oh, yeah. I saw this. You also watched from directed by Roxanne Benjamin. Um, I got tricked into this one because uh, everything made it seem like this was a, a, like a nature of survival horror with a bear. And uh, like, there's no bear. <laughs> nah. There's no bear until the end. The, the story of this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Like I don't, I, it's just such a waste of time. And it's much like Relic where this just like this slow burn to absolutely nothing. I mean, at least with Relic, you had a pretty fantastic finale. This, the finale is just like, are you serious? Like that, what was the point? Why did we do any of this? Like, how are you able to get people together with equipment and just, oh, you know, all that time and resources, money, everything for this. Like, it's just so bizarre to me. Yep. It's so pointless. And it's crazy because then I read that she's making a, she's doing the remake of Night of the Comet. Mm. Which I, it seems like a bad decision. I don't know if I would remake that movie. No, because that, that movie only works because it's the eighties. Exactly. Like, that's see, that's <laughs> that's what makes Night of the Comet work is the fact that you can't replace that eighties aesthetic. I mean, the 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 look, the music, the no. clothing, like the 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 radio station, like all of that stuff makes that movie so so uniquely of the yeah, time because it's not. Because it's not really even a good movie. 
it just works because of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Boy, do I love that movie. Oh. That's, yeah, that, I don't know. I, I'll, I would be curious to see how that's going to turn out, but probably, yeah. not, probably not great. She did a segment on Southbound. I'm not sure which one, but I remember enjoying all of the segments of Southbound, and she did a segment on XX, too, which I did not like that, but I thought some of the segments were okay. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure which of the segments she did in that one, either. All right. Well, yeah, that's uh, Body of Brighton Rock. I, I also can't recommend that one. Uh, I saw Blood Games from 1990. This uh, recently got released on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. It's directed by Tanya Rosenberg. Uh, this is a it's sort of a rape revenge story about a, a, a an all women's baseball team who it says softball, but they're very clearly playing baseball in the movie. So it's baseball. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's an all women's baseball team who they're, they're traveling around making money. They're playing other teams and um, they go to this like kind of podunk town and they just beat the snot out of this other team of all, all men players. And they're, they're pissed. You know, they're not happy that they got beat by a bunch of girls and they go to leave town and their their bus breaks down and two of them get attacked by uh, some of the, the players and they end up killing the guy and the players end up going after the women and trying to like hunt them down. And uh, one of the women ends up getting brutally raped by some of the men and it sort of just turns into this like cat, cat and mouse game. It's... uh pretty good i honestly could have done without the sexual assault angle like the movie would have worked fine without it and the weird thing is like the movie it doesn't have as a very dark tone to it i mean there's like murder and stuff but it all feels sort of intentionally campy but then Mm -hmm. you have this really brutal rape scene and it just doesn't feel like it fits with the rest of the movie at all so I, I would have completely eliminated that scene and the movie, it still would have worked fine as is. But other than that, um, I had a pretty good time with it. It's obviously not a good movie per se, but it is tremendously fun to watch. Uh, just to, to see these women just beat the shit and kill out these like rednecks. Um, it's kind of fun. So uh, Blood Games out now on Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. Also, uh, Tanya Rosenberg, uh, for some reason, she just sort of disappeared after this movie, and I don't know why. And I feel like that there are so many female directors that this happens to them where they direct one movie and they just disappear because, you know, with male directors, I feel like Hollywood lets them fail up all the time. And with with female directors, if they don't have like a blockbuster on their hands, they're done. I'm well, not sure. also too, it's just as simple. Even if their movie does make money, like if they if they're too assertive, like people won't work with them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's so it's just yeah, and that's the the diff, difficult thing about like the history of cinema. It's just littered not only with women but of color too. Where you'll watch a movie and be really excited, like oh my god, I'm going to check out everything they made. 
and you hop on IMDb and it's like two other titles. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? It's it's crazy. And I mean, obviously, Blood Games isn't an amazing movie, but it was different. I mean, it was it was something that had sort of a different style, a little bit of a different tone for the time. And I don't know. I maybe I don't know the reasons behind why she didn't direct anything else. Maybe she voluntarily left the industry. I, I'm not sure, but I just I feel like I've seen this so many times in the past that. It's something must have happened where she just couldn't get work anymore and left because of that. Yeah, that's all I got. Besides Jaws, which guess what? Still good, still great. <laughs> that's like a Jaws like, is great. That's like an annual watch for you these days, but right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think... now you. If it, uh, my wife is obsessed with Jaws. Oh, I love Jaws yeah. too. I, I, Jaws. I, I, that used to be an annual watch for me. I, I think I'll have to bring that back. It's, it's, uh, yeah, Fourth of July, dude. It's perfect. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, crack open some beers. Especially, especially now. I mean, I'm sure that most of you have seen people referencing the the mayor of Amityville on uh, yeah oh, <laughs> on man. Twitter. Yeah, with COVID, dude. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a different watch this year. Yeah, compared to other years, definitely a different watch. With the unfortunate passing of of Carl Reiner this week, I decided to catch up with a couple of his movies that I've never seen before. The first one being Summer School from 1987. And this this stars uh, Mark Harmon and Kirstie Alley. And this, uh, it's a pretty fun, light kind of high school romp. It's about this uh, gym teacher who he's he's getting ready to go to Hawaii for the summer. He's got he's he and his girlfriend are going to go to Hawaii, have a great summer vacation in Hawaii, but then guess what? Up oh, he's got to teach summer school. No, oh, come on. And not only that, but it's the kids who need to pass remedial English, so they're like the dumb kids and the bad kids. Oh. Now, um, it goes to the same places that you would expect where, you know, it's a, it's a teacher where at first he doesn't care about the kids. The kids don't care about him. They're not listening to him and he doesn't even, he doesn't mind what he does to, when he first starts, he's like, let's just all go on field trips every day to the beach. And he gets in trouble for that. And then like, eventually he starts to get through to the kids and he starts to want to teach them. and. They all have to pass this exam at the end and you know, it's all pretty standard stuff, but it's quite funny and it's uh, really enjoyable. And I I liked it quite a bit. This is one that I could see myself revisiting in the future uh, because it's it's just a good time. It's good, light, fun, summer fun. Uh, The other one that I saw was summer rental from 1985. Now this uh, stars John Candy as Jack Chester. He he's yeah. a he's an air traffic controller and he's yeah. like been working for like 15 years as an air traffic controller and he's never had a vacation. He's like addicted to the job and he gets burned out. And he ends up like freaking out and almost crashing a plane because there was a fly on his monitor and it was like hiding the oh, plane. Yeah. <laughs> so his work says you need to take a vacation. So they, they force him to take the summer off. So it's like a five week vacation and he decides to go to Florida with his family. 
and it's just a it is a just a series of horrible situations that John Candy gets himself into and it's really funny and I I enjoyed it tremendously. A lot of people didn't really like this one. Um and I don't know if it was just like I was sort of yearning for a movie like this. I don't know if it was because I haven't watched a John Candy movie in several years and have been, you know, unconsciously yearning to to yeah. revisit yeah. a John Candy movie cuz that that could be the same but man yeah, I, I, I think that i think that's how it is like if you if you're a john candy fan and you haven't watched the john candy movie in quite some time and you're either craving one or you just kind of happen upon one like you're automatically gonna like it i think just his presence alone yeah yeah you enjoy yourself and for some reason like i didn't i didn't know that like i wasn't sure that he was the main character in this but Man, he he is, and uh, I'm so glad that I finally saw this because I had a I had a blast with it. It's it's dumb, like there's a lot of like silly things that happen, but overall, it's just so comical to me to watch John Candy have like in the first scene, like the first day there at the beach, he doesn't put sunscreen on, and he falls asleep, and for like the next half hour of the movie, he's just bright red <laughs> because of the sunburn. Yeah. And then he like breaks his leg at one point and he has this like giant inflatable cast thing on. And it's just, it's literally one thing after another, like every scene with him, it's just a constant stream of horrible crap happening to him. And it's just so funny because it's just rapid fire, rapid fire, John Candy reacting to a bad situation. And yeah, I loved it. I thought it was just, I thought it was so funny. Uh, I might have to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, Again, this is summer rental, and I rented this on Vudu actually, so you can rent it on Vudu. I think it's on Amazon too. All right, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. On the seventh, we have Where Sleeping Dogs Lie. We have The Medicine, which I believe is a documentary about uh, ayahuasca. We have Secret Weapon. Uh, Battlefield 2025, Fighting for Our Survival is the tagline of that one. Uh, we have Homewrecker. That's a sort of this comedic thriller. Did not did not enjoy that one. I saw that at uh, some film festival last year and did not like it. We got Browse. This is a thriller with Lucas Haas. On the eighth, we have Mucho Mucho Amor. That's on Netflix. That's a documentary. On the ninth, we have The Beach House. That's on Shudder. I caught up with this just a couple weeks ago at the, uh, what was it? The Chattanooga Film Festival. And uh, I thought that was, it was interesting. Kind of this cosmic horror story about these. uh, Yeah, it's about this, this couple who goes to this beach house and discovers that there's some kind of mysterious illness that has befallen people and sort of mutating them. And. I think I might have mentioned it on the show. On the 10th, yeah. we have The Old Guard. That's going to be on Netflix as well. That stars Charlize Theron. Led by a warrior named Andy, a covert group of tight-knit mercenaries with a mysterious inability to die have fought to protect the mortal world for centuries. 
this is Jana Price Blackwood. Yep. Which is not, that's like completely different than what she normally makes. Yeah. It's a gritty, grounded, action-packed story that shows living forever is harder than it looks. Huh. Yeah, I'll give it a look. Why not? It looks very young adult, but maybe not. Uh, let's see. We also have Money Plane. This is an action movie with Denise Richards, Kelsey Grammer, and Thomas Jane. Uh, exactly who you would think would be in this movie. <laughs> called Money Plane. It's an explosive casino heist in the sky. Oh my goodness. So, wrap your head around that. Wow. Uh, we have First Cow coming out. This is Kelly Reichardt's new one. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, A24 finally. Finally. They they finally decided, you know what? This is not going to happen for us in theaters. Let's just put it out on digital. I love love how, like, I I was going to say stuck up, and then I was going to retract that, but I'm still going to stick with stuck up. I I love how stuck up A24 is, where they just flat out refuse to release any of their stuff on digital first. Like, they have to be in theaters. It's so funny too because they like they have those movies and then they have the 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 whole other fifty percent of their of their lineup is like direct TV bullshit that they don't even fucking care about <laughs> and don't even talk about. It's like they're such a weird company. Yeah, I, I like them, but yeah, they they make some strange marketing decisions. Uh, we also have Volition. This looks like a sci-fi thriller according to the poster it says a time bending sci-fi thriller so there we go Still a little bit of time bending happening there haven't seen a good time travel movie in a while no because it's played out yeah maybe maybe somebody needs to you know revitalize that that shtick i think i think they need to i think you need to wait though i think that's the perfect thing Gotta wait like a couple years. Yeah, and then somebody like some crazy director is gonna come out with something that's just gonna twist it up. I mean, Tenant looks like it involves time time bending a little bit. Love, I fucking love bending time, dude. Yeah, we have Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. We have Olympia. This is a virtual theatrical release. It's a documentary about Olympia Dukakis. We have mm. Relic coming out. Uh, let's see archive this is a another sci-fi movie starring theo james and stacy martin mm, are they bending time at all it looks sort of it looks um i mean this is purely judging from the uh marketing materials here but it looks sort of like a an ex machina yeah type movie it's a, it's a, yeah it's ai thing yep yeah his goal is to be reunited with his dead wife. So he's like trying to make a robot version of her or some, some nonsense. Hmm. That's going to, that's not going to work out. No, he wants it to. no, it's not definitely not. We have Deanie Bean is dead. That looks like some kind of comedy. Love dies when you least expect it. <laughs> Look out. Uh, we have uh, Widow of Silence. That's a virtual theatrical release. We have A Deadly Legend. Not sure what that is. This is a real estate developer buys an old summer camp to build new homes. However, the property has a dark history that ties to a legend of supernatural. 
supernatural worship and human sacrifice. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, we have Guest of Honor. That is a virtual theatrical release. That is uh, directed by Adam Egoyan. Like, I don't know. Like I haven't seen him do anything yeah. for a little bit. And it, st- and it stars uh, David Thewlis. I like him. Wow. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's worth a look. That's pretty much it for VOD. That's a lot of stuff coming out this week. Yeah, it is. That's the new normal now. Uh, let's take a look at what we have on Blu-ray. We have the complete Lindsay Baker Giallo collection. This is a box set from Severin Films. This includes Orgasmo, So Sweet, So Perverse, A Quiet Place to Kill, and Knife of Ice. Ooh, Knife of Ice. Yeah. I have not seen a single one of these. So. I don't know. But, I mean, the title Knife of Ice sounds pretty damn promising. Mm-hmm. We have The Day the Earth Caught Fire from 1961. We have The Flesh of the Fiends from 1960, starring Peter Cushing. Trolls World Tour from earlier this year. Spaced Invaders from 1990. I've been meaning to revisit that one. Spaced Invaders. Sci-fi comedy. (laughs) We have P.O. Box Tinto Brass from 1995. Arrow's putting out Black Rainbow from 1989. There's a movie called Proximity that looks sort of like uh, Arrow is also putting out Zombie for Sale. And Arrow is also putting out Inferno of Torture from 1969. Van Damme's Death Warrant from 1990 is getting a new Blu-ray release. Uh Sorry We Missed You from last year is coming out on Blue. The Wild Goose Lake it's coming out. Neurosis from 1982. That's a Jess Franco film. I've been meaning to watch more Jess Franco movies. You maybe, should. Maybe this is a good opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you have plenty of time. Yep. Go Go Mania from 1965. Blood and Money from earlier this year. That's the Tom Berenger one. Yes. It's not a sniper movie, but it looks like he is a sniper in it. So. Yes. Ozone from 1995. What is this? While ambushing a drug dealer, Detective Eddie Boone is injected in a fight against the dealer with a new drug called Ozone, which transforms the users into powerful zombies. Yeah. Uh, Excuse me? I'm looking at the cover here, and it looks like there's all kinds of really cool-looking... It looked like a Nightbreed style thing going on. I'm definitely adding this to my list. This is a must see. <laughs> right up my Absolutely must see. Hope Gap from earlier this year is coming out. That's the one with the net bending and Bill Nighy. Bell's Booth is coming out. That's on Shudder, so you can if you have Shudder, you can watch it on there. Yeah, save your money. Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood Mania. And that's pretty much it for the major releases. What about Criterions this week? Oh, we have uh, Byron Haskins, The War of the Worlds from 1953. New restoration, new soundtrack, new commentary. Or I should say commentary from 2005. You also get the radio adaptation 
directed and narrated by Orson Welles. Mm. The one that kicked it all off. Mm-hmm. The one that sparked the frenzy. Oh, boy. Got that World of War fever. <laughs> oh, my. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, that might be that might be worth checking out. I feel like I've listened to par- at least most of the World War of the Worlds, the radio thing. Like I feel, yeah. I feel like there was a, a class that I took in school where we listened to it, but I could be like misremembering that. All right, uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Reichstraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Yeah.